Today's scripture lesson comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. In this passage, Paul is encouraging his protege Timothy during his second imprisonment in Rome. In it, he encourages Timothy to be bold in the proclamation of the gospel and encourages him to walk worthy of the calling that he's received. It says, I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of God. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you will give each one of us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us today. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm so grateful that when I was a very, very young child, my parents started taking me to Sunday school. I'm grateful for all the resources for the living of life that I received there in Sunday school growing up. I'll always remember that one of the ways they taught us about who the church is was through placing our hands in a certain way, intertwining our fingers, and we would say something like, here is the church, here is the steeple, and open it up and you see the people. The church is the people of God gathered in worship, gathered to hear the proclamation of the Word and celebrate the sacraments. So the church definitely is the people. It's not a building, it's the people. We went 400 years at our beginning with no buildings. The church is the people. We are in a sermon series for several weeks that we have entitled, We Are Wesley. And we're looking at some of those core values that have guided us in the past and that continue to guide us today and that will guide us into the future. Today we are looking back and looking around us and looking ahead and celebrating that we are Wesley. We are a resilient people. This congregation was founded in 1856 and I don't think any of us can imagine the darkness of that era. Those were the years leading up to the Civil War, great, great years of division. And then came the Civil War where Americans were killing Americans. And we were established in that very tumultuous period. And we survived that period. And then we survived Reconstruction, the Spanish-American War, World War I the Great Depression, World War II, all of the cataclysmic social changes of the 20th century. 
And here we are today because we are resilient people. We have, we have changed buildings four times. We've changed locations three times. We've changed denominations four times. And here we are today marching into the future because we are a resilient people. We know how to pivot and face into, lean into what it is God is calling us to do. To be resilient means, if you look it up in the dictionary, to have the ability to recover. That is a great gift that is given to us through the power of the Spirit. It also is a learned gift, a learned behavior, the ability to be resilient. We as a congregation are resilient, and we, we celebrate that, and we march fearlessly into the future knowing that. And if you are in Christ this morning... If you've invited Christ to reign and rule in your life, if you've invited Christ to take up residency in your heart and to live through you, you are a resilient person. I remember years ago when I was being trained as a chaplain at Wesley Long Community Hospital then over in Greensboro. I was a very, very young man. I was assigned to the cancer floor. And I learned so much in that year that I was working there at Wesley Long. And one of the things that startled me throughout the course of that year was the strength, the resiliency that I saw in, in those people that I would meet there on the cancer floor. And oftentimes they would say something to me like, I don't know how I could make it through this. And always I was astonished at what all they had made it through up to that point. If you are in Christ, you are more resilient than you probably realize. If you're in Christ, you've been through a lot, you've made it through a lot, you are, you are a survivor, you're not a perpetual victim. Some people in our culture love to be perpetual victims, but if you're in Christ, you're a perpetual survivor. You know how to overcome, you know how to persevere, and you know how to march fearlessly into the future. That comes with the gift of Christ taking up residency in our lives. When we look at the life of Timothy in the New Testament, we see a resilient person. I love studying the life of Timothy in the New Testament. I, I hope that you know something about Timothy. I hope that you'll know more about Timothy when you leave this place today. Timothy was the closest thing that the Apostle Paul had to a son. As a matter of fact, Paul called Timothy his son in the faith. Timothy grew up in Lystra. Timothy grew up with a Jewish mother, Jewish grandmother, who had been converted through the ministry of the Apostle Paul there on Paul's first missionary expedition or, or journey through Asia Minor. So when, when his mother... Eunice, his grandmother Lois, came to faith. I think it was at that same time that Timothy came to faith. And we know that his father was not Jewish. His father was a Greek, Gentile, and we suspect his father never came to believe in Jesus Christ or followed Jesus Christ. But the influence of his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice, was so strong in Timothy's life, they had so taught him the scriptures, 
And for them, the only scriptures they would have had would be what we call the Old Testament. They had so taught him the scriptures that prepared him to receive the Messiah that's prophesied in the Hebrew Bible. And that prepared him and led him into a life of sincere faith. You heard Paul reference that in the text a few moments ago that Eli read for us. So then Timothy joined Paul on his second missionary journey. Before I move on with Timothy, let me ask you this question for serious consideration. Who is it in your life that you are mentoring in the Christian faith? I believe everyone under about the age of 25, probably, needs to be mentoring someone. That's a core Christian conviction. We see Paul doing it to Timothy. Who are you mentoring? No matter where you're at in your Christian walk, you're ahead of somebody. Who are you mentoring? Who is your protege? What are you doing to make sure people of faith come behind us when we exit this world for the world to come? Mentoring is a serious Christian discipline, and each one of us needs to be able to name who it is we are mentoring in the Christian faith. I'm sure that Paul mentored several. He mentored Timothy. He led Timothy to Christ, and then Timothy joined him on his second missionary journey. I'm sure that Paul and Timothy laughed together, cried together. I'm sure that they suffered together. At one point, Paul sends Timothy on a mission to the city of Corinth, and it did not end well. At another point, Paul appoints Timothy as the pastor in Ephesus. Some of you have been to Ephesus. Some of you have been to the ruins of Ephesus with me. In the ancient world, Ephesus was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. And that's where Paul appointed Timothy to serve. And we learn from uh, the book of Acts and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that when Timothy was leading the church there, people looked down on him because of his youthfulness. He was easily intimidated. And in many ways, we think that Timothy was a timid Person. That's why Paul says to him what he says in this text that Eli read for you a few moments ago. But Timothy, in spite of his fear, went forward, living the life that God in Christ through Paul was calling him to live. Paul's in prison at this point, and Paul is asking here in 2 Timothy for Timothy to come to him there where he, Paul, is in prison in Rome. So Timothy was looked down on because of his youthfulness. Now, there's another thing we learn in 1 Timothy, and some of you are going to be excited about this passage from 1 Timothy, but something else we just happened to learn in 1 Timothy is that Paul says to Timothy, in order to help Timothy with his recurring, ongoing, chronic stomach problems, And here's the part some of you are going to like. Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomachs and not just water. So I think Timothy was the nervous type. And the more Paul called him into leadership, probably the more nervous Timothy became, but it did not stop Timothy. We learn in this text this morning, look at verse 5 with me. Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure, Paul says to Timothy, it lives in you. 
verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid his hands on Timothy and prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul laid his hands on Timothy and called him into Christian ministry. And notice Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, now you have the gift of the Spirit, but you have to rekindle the gift. If you are in Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit residing in you. Now, your responsibility, our responsibility, is to keep the flame burning, to not let the fire go out. The Bible is clear in the New Testament. We can quench. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. It is our responsibility to rekindle the flame, to keep it burning within us. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. That's what Paul is telling us. Do what is necessary to rekindle the flame in you. Being here in worship today is one of those things that you can do to keep the fire burning. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, but then after we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we need to daily ask ourselves, have we given ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? And we need to do those things to rekindle the fire. That's what Paul said Timothy needed to do above all else. As he was facing what he was facing in life, he needed to rekindle the fire. I believe Paul is actually trying to prepare Timothy to take over the movement after Paul, after Paul loses his head to the Roman Empire. And then Paul reminds Timothy of one of the greatest promises that we find in the Bible. I hope it's well marked in your Bible. I know a lot of us have memorized it. If you can really appropriate this promise, my friend, you will have a changed life. Notice where Paul ended. Paul said to Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit, did not give us a spirit of cowardice. If you would like, you can translate that fear. If you would like, you can translate that timidity easily intimidated, intimidated. Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. There are a lot of people that think that's what God has given them, and they are enjoying that spirit of fear. It's becoming the center of their lives. But this is a declaration that we need to know how to make. God did not give us a spirit of fear. We live faith-centered, not fear-centered lives. Life will seek to intimidate us, but we are the resilient people of Jesus Christ who know how to pivot and overcome whatever it is that life brings our way. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of three things. Notice these three things. Take an inventory in your life to see if you're using these gifts God has given each one of us who are in Christ a spirit of power. Power. We have more power than we realize. We have power to overcome. We never should live under the circumstances. We have the power to live above the circumstances. So we're given a spirit of power and of love. Love. The ability to seek the welfare of the other person more than being focused on our own welfare. That's what love is. It's not an emotion. It's something we do to and for and with our neighbors. We have been given this power of love. We can love the lost. 
We can love those who are without Christ. The most loving thing we can ever do to those who are without Christ is to introduce them to the fullness of life that is ours in Christ. We can even, according to the New Testament and the gospel, we can even love our enemies. I hope you have some enemies this morning. When Jesus said we're to love our enemies, he was assuming we would have some. If you're in Christ, you're going to offend some people. If you're in Christ, the culture around you will not always agree with you. That's why we are given love for our enemies. Who are your enemies this morning? Who are those people that don't want you to succeed? Who don't want you to live a victorious, overcoming Christian life? Who are your enemies? I hope you have some. Who are your enemies? We can love our enemies, so we are called to out-love our enemies. And we have the power to out-love our enemies. We startle the world to pay attention to the gospel when we out-love our enemies and they see us doing that. We've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline is what it says here in my English translation. The, the Greek word there's root is tied to the, the mind. That's why some English translations, instead of self-discipline, it says a sound mind. Or I guess you could say a disciplined mind. A rightly prioritized mind. Self-control, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This has been given to us. We have been given a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or a disciplined mind or self-discipline or self-control. This is who we are. This is who we, this is who we are, and the text is very clear. Uh, I hope that you will join me in memorizing verse 7. We have not been given a spirit of cowardice or fear or timidity, but rather a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We are given these gifts. They're not automatic in our life. We have to fan the flame for these gifts to be real. If you're in Christ, you have the gift of resilience. You have the gift to overcome. You don't need to be intimidated by life. As I close, let me mention four things that I think we need to remember if we want to live out of the resiliency this hours in the Holy Spirit. If we're going to live out of that resiliency, that ability to pivot, that ability to be flexible, that ability to move on and persevere, we need to remind ourselves frequently that we don't always have to be, we don't always have to be in control. One of the greatest addictions in our culture is the addiction to control. We all love to control. We like to control uh, our family, our children. We like to control people around us. We like to control the world around us. At times, we even try to control God. But sometimes we need to learn that we aren't in control of much of life. And we certainly can't control these other people in our life. We should struggle to use the gift of self-control to control ourselves, but we really can't control others. We need to repent of that addiction to control and just chill out a little bit and understand that life is what life is. You know, 
A lot of people in our culture have made an art form out of being offended. They're always offended. Everything somebody does or says offends them. We need to learn how to deal with offense, receive the offenses, and then through our resiliency, move on. If we want to live a resistant, resilient life to, to the, overcome those things that come into our life, we have got to learn. We've got to learn that life and most of us don't learn this till late in life, but this is truth. Life is a series of losses. Life really is a series of losses. Each season brings some losses as we move into a new season. And you, you can think about all the losses you've endured over life, and at some point in our life we'll lose our health and we'll step into the other side. Life is a series of losses. That's why if we want to not just be resilient, but be happy, we have got to change our definition of happiness. What makes us happy at 95 years old is hopefully will be very different from what makes us happy at 25 years old. Life is a series of losses. We've got to get our expectations in order. A lot of our angst, our anger, comes from the fact we have really weird expectations about what life offers us. And then thirdly, if we want to live a resilient life, we have got to surround ourselves with a strong support system. A church family is so important. We, we people are Wesley. A church family is so important. It was a great, great gift to be in the dining hall last week with 150 of you as we worked together to pack those 36,000 plus meals to relieve hunger around the world. And every age was present from the youngest to the oldest. Every ability was in the room. And we worked together as a church family to do that. We are designed to have other people in our lives. We're designed to have other people in our lives. We've got to learn how to open our lives to other people. We've got to learn how to be vulnerable and allow other people into our lives. We've got to learn to take down the barriers and the walls that we erect, usually because we've been hurt, that we erect between us and other people. We need people. What does society do to really get someone's attention? Well, because we are created to be in community, one of the things that society can do to get our attention is to take us out of society, put us in jail and then maybe prison. And if we're still acting out, they can put us in solitary confinement. That hurts so much because we are designed to be in community. Hope you have a strong support system. Hope that you know how to gather people about you that can help you through the difficult times, that can help you be resilient. And lastly, number four, and this is probably the most important thing to remember, if you want to live a resilient life, you've got to know who you are in Christ. In Christ, we find our identity. In Christ, we find our destiny. We are not the product of our past. We are not the product of our environment. We are not the product, especially of our failures. We're not even the product of our successes. We're the product of the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. 
Let God tell you who you are. Don't let all those other voices around you or even those voices in your head tell you who you are. Let Christ tell you who you are. If you are in Christ this morning, you have received grace upon grace. You have been chosen. You have been set right, justified. You have been cleansed and redeemed. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature set apart for God's purpose in the world. You have overcome the world already. If you're in Christ, you are free, free from the law of sin and death. If you are in Christ, you have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You already have it. Just access it. If you're in Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And you need to always remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are the light of the world. Remember, Jesus didn't say, try to be the light. He said, you are the light of the world. You have the mind of Christ. Let the mind of Christ within you do your thinking as you take every thought captive to the Lordship of Christ. If you're in Christ, you can do all things that he calls you to do through the Christ that strengthens you. You are complete in Christ. You don't need another human being to complete you. You are complete in Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, if you're in Christ, you are God's workmanship. You are God's work of art. The Greek word there is poema, from which we get the word poem. You are God's work of art. You might not have known that when you came in here this morning. I hope you did, but I, I hope you really will accept that right now. You are God's work of art. You are not just a conqueror, Paul says. You are more than conqueror. And you are called to reign in life in this world and in the world to come through Jesus Christ. And I'll end where I started. You have not been given spirit of fear, but you have been given a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. We are resilient. You, you, if you're in Christ, you are resilient, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Amen.